0: warning explicit content listener discretion
1: is advised hi i'm scott david chase this is my truth tell me yours on this episode i talked to rachel campbell uh rachel's a friend of mine a co-worker at the grocery store that we both work at and um rachel's also a singer-songwriter and a uh, traveler and explorer, amongst many other things. Rachel had done a um, cross country bike trip with her husband a few years ago and had talked about it at uh, various points when we were at work, uh, different little things along her way. And uh, I was just really curious to, to hear more about it. And it was really just an excuse to sit and chat with Rachel for a while. Um, and I really enjoyed this conversation. You know, we had similar backgrounds brought up in churches and we connected about that we also have a share a deep deep appreciation and love of music so um you know didn't really have a whole lot planned out for the conversation i just wanted to sit and have a chat with her and i enjoyed the talk that we had so um i hope you will too take a listen Uh, bartenders and baristas, and uh, you know, if that's the only thing you got, the, the fancy bottle spinning or the uh, I, what is that called when you make a picture in the in, in the in the beverage? Is there a word for it? I thought it
0: was latte art.
1: Latte art, yeah, yeah. I think that's it. I got a fancy cappuccino with a, some sort of swan heart heart-headed con- swan congl- conglomeration. I don't know. And yours, you just, you just have brown... Mine ground. is the
0: black bottomless right pit Yeah, because you're the void. Yeah, black coffee, just like my soul. And, so.
1: Right, because you're more hardcore than me.
0: It's true.
1: So you just played live music yeah. for the first time in how long? This weekend.
0: I honestly lost count, but I think it's been
1: more than two years. Okay, at least. How do you feel? I know I asked you already. Um now the pressure's on because I'm recording it.
0: I know. It was uh more emotional than I expected it to be. How long that? Um I got really, really nervous and the crowd is really, really young, so I was just like
1: Oh yeah, it was here.
0: Yeah, it made me feel like I had to my relevance for some reason because I was just like oh no I used to be you right. you know I started doing open mics when I was 17 right
1: you're how old now 20? 24 okay so old
0: uh, well I don't know it,
1: it sounds like I'm being condescending I'm not because it's all it's all relative because I remember when I was 18 thinking like when I was 25, I'd be like married with like three kids, mm. and certainly some people do that. But right. now I look at like 24, 25. I'm like, God, it's so like your life's just starting. But I mean, also the older I get, the more I realize your life is always starting some some chapter of it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah.
0: I don't know. It's weird too because. There's just so many things about me and my age that don't make sense. Like, I'm 24, right. I'll be married for three years in June. Right. But I'm still in college, but I'm older than most of the people in my class. Like, where I'm at in my life is completely different right. than most people I'm around. So, like, it's... A weird identity crisis sure. I feel like I'm having all the time because I'm just like, where am I supposed to be? Right. You know? Like, people I went to high school with are graduated, starting their jobs. Yeah. Maybe not even married, but I'm just like, right. I don't know. It's weird.
1: Well, I could certainly relate, and I think on most days, <laughs> Ah, let's say 65% of the days I'm pretty much at peace with because I realize probably like like early 20s maybe even late, late teens I was just like oh I'm different than everyone else but I think I think deep down everyone is we're all kind of struggling to fit in and be accepted for who we are and like I have difficulty with the stuff that we feel is different about us uh, which everyone has um and then and I just realized like the path that like I've chosen in my life is different than a lot of people and that's okay and like uh, and it's it's certainly way easier to say that than to actually like feel it and right. like walk it and like I said it's like 65 percent of the time I'm just like, it's it's fine. The toughest thing for me was, like, realizing that there's going to be people no matter what that are going to think the way I live my life is weird, or the path that I've chosen is weird, and i got to be okay with that, because there's nothing I can do about it anyways, because I spent most of my 20s and 30s trying to, like, be liked by everyone. Mm. So... I mean, I don't know if that's a concern of yours. Uh, I, I mean, personally, I think you're a far more likable person than I am. So
0: I would say it's definitely a concern. So sure. maybe I'm good at doing that in sure. public. Right. Um, when I'm home by myself, it's right. much different. Yeah. There's a lot of self-doubt, like... Um, Uncertainty, sure. All sorts of things. But sure. I think I'm really good in public right. of just, like, being conforming to the person I need to be sure. for the space. So when sure. I'm at work, I'm a good worker. I right. try to be nice to my coworkers. I put that on. Right. It's not necessarily insincere. Sure. But it's, like... If I was my true self, I'd probably be crying on the floor, right. or something like that, you know? Right,
1: sure. Well, and that's, I mean, and again, that's not, yeah, it's definitely not being insincere. It's the, you know, it's, it's the cloak you have to wear in a situation you're in, and I don't, and... I don't know, because I'm sure there's some people who are like, oh, you're not, you know, if you're not being 100% authentic uh, yourself all the time, then you're, you know, there's no integrity to you or whatnot. And that's not, I mean, first of all, most of us wouldn't have a job if we were, right. just did what we felt all the time, you know. It's, I myself am someone who tends to be sarcastic, often rude, and sometimes angry. And, You know, trying to get along with other people in the society, you gotta reel that stuff in. Mm. Otherwise, you know, you become an outcast. Sometimes literally.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I wouldn't say I'm necessarily good at
1: compartmentalizing,
0: but (laughs) I definitely have learned to adapt to certain environments. Sure. Sure. Um but I don't, I just feel like in the past 5 or so years yeah. I've really started to think about like what are my beliefs? What's important to me? Right. Um and it's like it's been a really scary process yeah. because I was so sure prior to that, right? And then lots of things happened that just chipped away right. at that certainty, and now I'm just kind of like floundering. Yeah, um, I think I've put a lot of those pieces back together, but yeah. a lot is still left to be sure resolved. So it's. Sure. That's part of it,
1: too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and and you and I have talked a little bit from time to time because we have similar backgrounds. We're both raised by families with faith. Um, And I know for me, it was tough once I started questioning what I was raised to believe, as whether or not this is, you know, my my own beliefs, which spoiler alert, it's not. Um, but that's okay, also because I look at like I feel like the f- fundamentally good principles that were instilled in me when I was a kid I kind of stayed despite my best efforts to get rid of them um, or to reject them. But I also, I don't know, like, you know, uh, being involved in a 12-step program myself, that was the toughest thing for me was, because, you know, part of it is, you know, very early on is turning your life over to a power greater than yourself. And I was just like, I don't know what that is. And I've often felt foolish even trying to admit it and I was just like and it is interesting because I was having a conversation with a, a mutual friend of ours a couple of days ago about that because they were struggling with a similar thing and I said well for me just the fact that I had reached a point where I wasn't happy with my life knew that my own choices had basically steered me wrong up until this point um, specifically with like health and like diet stuff and and I said I I don't have an answer and I'm it's beyond my control Uh, so you know um, I was like I reached out to some some friends who were nutritionists and they kind of steered me in the right direction and then that opened up my mind to, okay, I need to make, I need to work on this, this, and this as well, and then just kind of put out the, hey, I need some help with this, and then it was presented to me, so I was just like, okay, the fact that I was open enough to say, I don't have a solution for this, let me see if the solution is presented to itself, and it kept, like, the whole picture, I have no idea where it's going, but, like, as long as I'm, like, honest and willing to accept a solution that I don't immediately have, it seems to present itself. So I was like, all right, that in and of itself is a power greater than me. So, and it also doesn't say you have to be able to define and draw a picture of this power greater than yourself. You just have to accept that there is one. So I was just like, all right, I I guess I'm doing that then. So that was like, I don't know, it's weird because I always, with, with religion specifically was always expecting and even hoping one day to just be like turn a corner and there's going to be a burning bush and you know an image talking to me and I'd be like oh this is what I've been waiting for because I know some people that claim to have had it and saying claim sounds like I doubt them it's just because yeah. I know people that their faith a 100% real to them and I'm honestly sometimes envious of that because I'm just like I've never I've just never felt that Hmm. but I'm also I'm okay I'm okay with that most days yeah most days so
0: I think for me what it was is I was so in that like I was sold on it I was raised in and I hope my parents never hear this but I think the church I was raised in was similar to a cult yeah in that everyone in leadership was part of the same family Mm -hmm. they held all the power in that community and they asserted that power frequently over everyone else and I was in it I believed it Um, sometimes to a fault there are things that I'm ashamed that I believed in and talked about now Um, but definitely when I left that there was a void Because, like, kind of what you were saying, power greater than yourself, that was mine. And then... Luckily, though, shortly after that, music kind of filled that void. Yeah. Because I left that community, started going to open mics, was accepted there. Yeah. I was like, wow, people who aren't Christians can be really nice. Right. And I was always taught that that is not the way. Right. Because there's just, you know, inherent sin, and these people haven't right. given themselves to Jesus or whatever. Um, but then when that fell away... And I think that's been the past few years for me.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm still trying to fill this void. Yeah. And like scrambling to find ways to do that. Yeah. Um, And I haven't been able to yet. Yeah. So it kind of felt, going back to the open mic, a little disingenuous of me to go back, to resort to that. Mm. Because it kind of felt like I was falling on a crutch because I've been feeling this way. Mm. But I don't know.
1: Did so after, I know you were saying that beforehand. And you didn't know how you were going to feel about it, but how did it feel after you did it? Like, did you like? Did did it, did it feel the same way to you that it had in the past? Like, like, did you feel a catharsis from doing it?
0: I think there was a sense of. Um, feeling, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I felt proud of myself for doing it. Um, If for nothing else, just to do something scary. Sure. Because I haven't done that for a while. But there was not the same feeling I used to have. And a lot of that has to do with the specific community I was in. Sure. Like I went to the same open mic every Friday for three years. Same people were there. Saw them outside of that space too.
1: Yeah.
0: Whereas this was kind of just like an entirely new group. My co-workers showed up, which is awesome. I yeah. really appreciated it.
1: Yeah.
0: But it was it was also weird because of that. Yeah. Because I was like I don't know. It it wasn't the same, but it wasn't bad. Right. But that made it more confusing to me. Sure. And it was also emotional because the songs I chose to play were originals that I wrote post my first open mic time in a really dark place. I
1: gotcha. So there was just
0: a lot going on That made it really complicated
1: Was it, so Because I know you told me you played two songs Was this the first time you had played these two songs publicly?
0: No I, so After I stopped going to Open Mic I played a show maybe once every six months For like a year or two Um, And that's the time that I wrote These songs about some stuff that I was dealing with but, like, it wasn't the same crowd. Like, my friends didn't really come. It was, like, playing to three people who were there to see the other person playing. Sure. So it, it kind of felt like it was the first time I was playing it for people. Yeah. Because it was people that I knew would be coming that care about me. Um, so that was a different dynamic to sure. it. Sure.
1: Yeah. yeah, there's definitely, I mean, having... Having performed in in different capacities over the years, doing both music, well, I put acting in a different thing, like I've acted too, but also like doing comedy and stuff like that, it's different, it has a different effect on me if there's people, not just people I know, but people that I know who at least have a little bit of like an inside track to like my inner workings I guess like I don't know like it. Like, if I'm either singing about or talking about something that's sort of personal to me it's different than and, you know and I've talked about very very personal stuff on stage in front of complete strangers too and I'm you know to some to some degree, that's easier than talking to people that you care about, but it's a different kind of cathartic feeling um, when you can connect with someone when you're performing on stage and it's someone who knows you. So, yeah, yeah. I'm, sure was, uh, I'm sure that was... I'm sure that was... It sounds like there was a lot going into... Yeah. Yeah, this yeah. Performance. yeah. for sure. I know. Do you think you're going to continue doing it? Or you don't know?
0: Um... I honestly feel like there will never be a time where music isn't important to me. Sure. Um, I'll probably write new music just because um, that's a medium I go to to work things out. Right. As far as performing goes, I don't know. Right. I think it will be one of those things where if opportunities present themselves to me, I won't reject them right. but I'm not necessarily actively
1: Seeking. looking yeah. yeah so right on I can understand that. yeah I mean I think from my recollection at least and you know memory is an unreliable thing but I i I believe the first time we connected in some sort of conversation was probably talking about music. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of people that we work with that are pretty big into music, but I'd say you're one of the people, the, uh, the handful, probably like four or five people that work with that I talk to about music the most. So that was... Like, early on, when I, like, find out that, like, someone's, like... Because, you know, you ask anyone on the street, oh, do you like music? Oh, yeah, I love yeah. music. You know, yeah, music's so important to me. But it becomes clear when you talk to someone when it's not just the background soundtrack to, you know, their workout or, you know, working on their homework, but it's something that they, you know, they follow bands and then, you know, they, they're... Always talking about the next shows they're gonna go see, and I mean, case in point, like our our manager, who, and this is not a dig at him at all, but I very very rarely have conversations with him other than he'll come over and talk to me about music, and it's so funny because in the interview. We 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 knew someone in common. We have a tattoo artist in common and then sometime music came up and there was a couple of bands that he mentioned that I listened to, so I was just and I was being genuine. Like I was like, I like them, but like I've realized the more I've talked to him, like our Venn diagram with musical interests, it's a very small sliver. But because he's my boss and he comes over and we'll talk to me and he's like, Do you listen to blah blah blah? And I don't listen to them at all. Like I'm aware of them, but I'm yeah. I'm either like just Not My Thing or well, oh those that band's terrible but you know but I'm just like I'm like yeah I've heard some of their stuff yeah I haven't gotten too much into them but and so it's interesting but like yeah early on whenever I discover that someone's got um, what I call the sickness with music where you just you can't ever like get enough and it's always like you're always like striving to find like that next thing and it's like I don't know every once in a blue moon I will hear like a song or an artist and it's like the first time I've been aware of them and it just like blows my mind and then I become obsessed with that artist and try and find everything they did and then like but then I'm always like chasing that initial feeling of like how have I missed this my entire especially if it's an artist who's been around for a while there's that weird like how have I never heard of this but then I'm also like excited because I'm like oh wow this person has 12 albums out like I have 12 albums worth of Great stuff to check out now, but yeah, you were you were definitely one of those people that I was like, oh, this is someone that music's like, a, a, you know, one of the lifelines to this person. So yeah. Um, so one of the things that you've like talked about a little bit here and there, which was like, has always interested me, but I want like I wanted to hear the full story or as much of the story as. You feel is a full okay. story about this trip that you took a couple of years ago. Um, like I don't know, like I, like how did that come about? Like, yeah.
0: Um, the truth is, I can't even really explain how it went from like an idea that and I had to like, oh, we're actually doing this. Right. Um, Ben had done his own trip.
1: That's your husband? Yes, that's yep. my
0: husband. Um, he had done his own trip three years prior, four years prior, I can't remember. Um, he biked from New York to Ohio. Okay. He was planning to go cross country, but then a series of things happened that didn't allow that to come to be. Um, But he always wanted to do it again. He was like, I want to go the whole way across the country, coast to coast. And I don't want to do it alone. Because that was part of what made it really hard for him. But I remember after he did that trip, it was so emotionally stressful. Being on the other side of it, of like, knowing he's out there. You guys were involved. We weren't together. You weren't married yet, though, right? We weren't married. Um that we had started dating, like, six months prior, but we had known each other for years before that. And I had just moved to Colorado, actually. It was the year I graduated high school. I moved to Colorado. He's still in New Hampshire and then tells me, you know what, I'm going to bike across the country by myself. And I was like, what? Why? And then the whole, it was two weeks, I think, that he did it. It was just, like, stress eating away at me. It was emotional. And I was like, I am never doing that. I don't want you to do that again. And then I don't even know what happened. But a few years after that, we were, I think we just had an itch to travel. Mm -hmm. And Ben brought it up again. He was like, we should do a bike tour. And I was kind of like, no, I don't know. That sounds really scary. Right. And then something clicked in me where I was like, you know what? This sounds terrifying, but it also sounds really awesome. Right. And because of a few weird things financially that happened, we were in a good place to do something like that. So it kind of felt like maybe this is a sign, not that I believe necessarily in that, but like kind of seize this opportunity. So in January of that year, 2017, or I guess it was 2018, um, we just started planning. We were like, we're going to do this in six months. Yeah. So we started buying all the stuff, doing research. We wanted to do it in the least expensive way possible. Right. Um, so there were so many things that were not really conventional to that sort of trip. Like what? Like, just like, we did not have the nicest gear by any means. Yeah. We were just, like, bungee-cording stuff onto the bike. Right. Like, I don't even know. Like, trying to do ultralight stuff, only having one pot to cook food not really having a clear plan of like where we were going to camp right. just like oh we're just going to you know pull off on the side of the road and just get camping for free in the woods right and yeah then it was june and we had plane tickets bought to fly we started in nashville because um, we only had two months okay and it was happening. And it was kind of just like, okay, we can't back out now. Yeah. Like, this is happening. So
1: did you, with the plane tickets, did you fly your bikes out as well?
0: We shipped them. Oh, okay. So I have an uncle who lives in Nashville. So we were able to take the bikes apart and ship them to his house, which is way cheaper than putting it on a plane. Sure. Um, and then we flew there and put the bikes back together and then literally left my uncle's house for the trip so
1: And you, so your uncle knew what you were doing it's yeah. not like why did I just get this big box oh no, we'll be yeah, right there knew. Yeah, yeah.
0: But we planned it so that the bikes would get there the day that we did um, so like he didn't have to plug them in or right. like put them together
1: or anything I gotcha
0: yeah so that's the short version I guess which so so
1: so leaving Nashville Which way did you head?
0: Just literally due west. Okay, That was our only plan. Now,
1: did you... So, yeah, two months. Did you know, like, okay, this Did you guys have, like, an exact route? Like, this is where we're going to try and go every day, or we're just going to see how far we can get each day, or...?
0: Not really. I remember... I'm much more of a planner than Ben is. So I, before we left, tried to have a general sense of, like which towns we'd be coming up on we weren't trying to kill ourselves doing crazy mileage we're like we're probably going to average 40 50 miles a day yeah which when that's your only job for an entire day that's nothing
1: right
0: um and so i would like plan out this town is 50 miles out from here and so on but like life that doesn't work out. Right. We get to a town and it would be like completely dead, nowhere to camp, nowhere to stay, no source of water. So that kind of threw my planning out the window. Right. And Um, our whole do west plan, like, we didn't have a route or anything. Yeah. It was literally just look on Google Maps, go west, and whatever it tells you to do to get to west in the shortest amount of time, that's what we're going to do. Gotcha. And then eventually we got on route 66, like the old route 66, and we're just taking that route Mm -hmm. because there were, like, planned out bike routes. Right. Because we didn't want to be on the highway, and that was happening a lot, so... Then we just did that for a while. Yeah.
1: Did but, you... You said you ended up on the highway a lot. Like, did you... Did you ever have an instance where you were doing that and, like, the police came over and be like, you can't be here?
0: No. I think because that route is traveled a lot by cyclists, mm-hmm. um, it's legal in most of those states to bike on the highway. Right. Because there's literally no other road. Right. It's just desert. Right. So... We never encountered that. Yeah. There were a lot of people who were like, why are you biking on the highway? Right. Like, we'd get off at a rest stop, and they'd be like, what are you doing? Right. And it was really scary, because sometimes there was hardly any shoulder. Right. And the speed limit would be 75. And we were like, okay, well, hopefully we don't die today. Right, right. But, you know, you could die driving on the highway going 75. Right. So I tried to...
1: Remember like, well, that, yeah. Yeah, we never know how much time yeah. we have. And yeah, we, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm certainly jealous of the Route 66 thing. I still haven't done that. Like, I've, I've been parts of it, you know. Like Flagstaff, Arizona is one of the, one of the you know, there's a lot, a lot of stuff from the original Route 66 that's still there. Yeah. Um, it's on my list of, like, four or five road trips in the future, having done several road trips already, but, uh, yeah, it's not, it's not, it won't be for a little while, at least, that's probably, like, honestly, that'll probably be, like, 55th birthday type of stuff, so I got some time, but, yeah, um, so how far did you, like, were you planning on, Going for let's say 30 days, be like, all right, get as far as you can get, be like, all right, we got to turn around. Like, were you departing from Nashville as well, or you had?
0: We were planning to get to. Um, California, we weren't really sure about California, what we were going to do because our end goal was Ben's sister lived near San Francisco okay. so we were going to spend at least a few days with her before we flew back and that's where our tickets were out okay. from. Um, but like originally we were going to like just get to the coast and then take a train to San Francisco because it's quite a distance from if you're just going that straight path to the coast then up to San Francisco and like so many things changed. We almost quit on like the fourth day because the heat was so intense and the humidity was so intense and we were just always hot and sweaty and camping and not showering and it was really stressful. Yeah. so that was just changing all the time it was always fluid we never knew if we are going to quit the next day or right. keep going
1: did you, did you have points on the trip where you're like so how are you feeling about yeah. this Like, do you want to keep going did you guys have those conversations oh yeah,
0: yeah. I think definitely more in the beginning um we actually, once we got to Memphis, Tennessee, we were like ready to quit. We were done. We actually bought tickets to go home. Like, that's how done we were. Right. Um, and we talked for almost an entire day. We took a rest day and we're just like, what are we going to do? Do we want to just cut the trip short? Do we want right. to go home? And then we ended up finding this resource called Warm Showers. So it's basically other cyclists who have done tours, mm-hmm. open up their homes to cyclists and let them stay there for free. Yeah. And so we looked into that, and there were a ton of Warm Showers across our general route. Right. So the person we stayed with in Memphis kind of taught this out of quitting yeah he's like ultimately you should do what you feel is right but like it does get better yeah. like this is your first week the heat is really rough you picked a really hard time to right. bike through the south right um but like he had done a 6,000 mile trip by himself yeah he was like you're gonna have hard times but like yeah. this is totally worth it yeah you're doing something you'll probably never be able to do again right So, that kind of gave us the boost to keep going. And I think that initial encounter we had carried us through, like, the entire trip. Yeah. Because we just kept meeting people with that same mantra of, Mm -hmm. like, it gets better. Right. You're doing great. Like, just keep... Yeah. Just keep going.
1: Well, it's one of those things that, like... I feel like so many people... In my, you know, in my experience talking to people, and I know a lot of people, and I talk to a lot of people, and I think the biggest thing that keeps people from doing stuff like that is taking it from an idea and putting it into action. And I think my kind of take on it is is the putting it into action is the most important step whatever happens after that is kind of out of your control to some degree Um, and you're going to encounter so many things that you just didn't even anticipate and you had there would be no way you could anticipate but kind of kind of the story that you're telling afterwards it's kind of a moot point as long as you take that first step because so many people just like never get past the whole i've got this desire to do something, and it wasn't like clearly because you guys planned it for six months it wasn't just a fleeting thought yeah hey this weekend let's go do this it was something um and committing to something and following through with it and yeah um yeah, no, I definitely, th- that's that's one of the things that, like, I don't know, anyone who has any longevity with something that's kind of, like, outside of the box that, like, not everyone does, I hear over and over again is they're like, you know, I got to a point where I was ready to quit and someone just told me, you know, just keep doing it. I think yeah. you should just keep doing it regardless. And, yeah, so that's but it's hard it's hard especially when you're in the thick of it because you're like I I mean I did um, and I wasn't on a bike I was in the comforts of the car with my dog but I did you know 7,000 miles around the country and there was definitely points where I'm just like what am I doing I just want to go home I mean I had sort of like set it up where because I had moved out of my apartment and put everything I owned in storage and literally didn't have a home to come home to Mm. so I was just like I'll figure that out when I get home which which I did eventually but it was also one of those things that it was like I knew sort of going into it that I kind of did it to be like well (laughs) you're gonna have to do what you set out to do Yeah. yeah um so did you end up getting to his sister's
0: Not quite. Um, So after Memphis, we had a ton of warm showers set up. We also had a couch surfing couple host us, which was pretty cool. Um, And... We really got into the swing of things. Something I was worried about is we're not athletic, really. Like, we weren't cyclists before we left. It was literally just a means to an end for us. Mm -hmm. Like, even our bikes, I got my bike for free at a yard sale. Right. And then I just kind of, like, tuned it up. It was, like, a 70s Univega. Mm -hmm. The shifters didn't work. I was like, this will do. Right. And then Ben's bike, same thing, like a 60s Schwinn. Yeah. Um, so we were really just, like, making things up as we went along. Right. We barely knew how to, like, change a tube for a tire, Mm. like, patching tires. Like, we were just making it up. Yeah. Um, so we got to Arizona, I'd say. We stopped at Flagstaff. We visited the Grand Canyon. Um... And then the heat really started to ramp up at that point.
1: Because this is what June, July?
0: This was in July, (laughs) yeah, end of July in Arizona. Um, Almost
1: the the most oppressive time of the year. Like August is kind of the worst, you know, having having lived in Arizona myself because it's monsoon season then too. So, yeah, yeah,
0: so that was that was rough. Um, but. We, there was this freak thing that happened where we were about to cross into California. We were, like, two days out from California, and we're in this super sketchy town in Arizona. There's nothing there. There's
1: a lot of those in Arizona. There's
0: nothing there, and the town we were supposed to camp in, um, literally someone at, a like, a store 20 miles away from this town was like, don't stay there. Like, it's really dangerous and we get there and we got two flats in a row
1: right we
0: ran out of tubes so we had no more tubes to change a tire with yeah and patches weren't sticking and we get to this town we're running out of water we have no spare tubes or tires and like the day was starting to wind down it was going to get dark soon and we were just like this is not a good place to be so we're like, do we go into this town and get help? Right. Do we flag someone down on this road? So I decided, you know, we just have to flag someone down. Yeah. And the first car that comes through is actually a police car. Oh. So I flag this police car down and I'm like, listen, we're about to run out of water. We need to get a tube for our bikes. And so he agrees to take me into the next town over, which is, like, 15 miles away, and get a new tube for the tire. But he can only take one of us. He has to, like, frisk me. And I can't take, like, anything with me except my phone and money to pay for this tube. Right. So the whole process goes down I have to leave Ben back in this sketchy town yeah that
1: sounds really with scary with all of our
0: stuff he finds some shade but it's like 115 degrees outside yeah. and he has little water and I'm just like oh my god what are we gonna do so he takes us into town to the closest bike shop or takes me into town
1: in did you have to ride in the back or did I you had get, to ride in
0: know. the back um, and it was really surreal because I had never been in the back of a police car and we get to this bike shop and the sign is off and I'm like oh my god this place is closed and so he tells me to wait in the car, and he goes over, and I'm like shaking, nervous. And did, he, did you
1: try and get out at all? Because I don't know if you know, no. you can't open the back. You can't open. Oh, up. I didn't
0: even try. Yeah, yeah, you can't He get made out. it pretty clear, like I'm going to go check. Right. You're going to stay here. Right. Yeah. So he goes over and he's looking inside, and then he comes back and he's like, "No, it's open. There's people in there." Hmm. So it's like, okay, thank God. So. I go inside and it turns out the only reason this place was still open, they were supposed to close like an hour prior, is this other cyclist doing the same route as us is in there trying to get help with his bike. So I'm talking to this guy, I'm like, are you following Route 66 to California? He's like, yes. So I get the tube and then this guy is like, same as William. He says, I have a hotel in this town. If you guys want to bike here, you're welcome to stay with me in the hotel, and then we can bike together. Right. So I'm like, okay, this hadn't happened the entire trip. Right. But I'm feeling like we don't have anywhere to camp in the town 15 miles away. Mm. This person is doing the same thing as us. There's no reason for him to be... A scary person Right Right So You know Cop takes me back to Ben I tell him the game plan And he's like Okay Let's right. do that So we end up staying In this guy's hotel room He sleeps on the floor And lets us sleep on the bed Doesn't let us Pay for it right, At all He's right. just like You guys Should sleep on the bed I don't mind sleeping on the right. floor Um And then yeah. We decide to bike the rest of the way together essentially so that next day I was already getting a really bad feeling just because like Ben and I had gotten into a groove we had our thing like I always led Ben was always behind we would take a break at certain intervals and then this guy was really throwing that into question Um, he was taking a really long time to get ready Like, we were eating breakfast, and he was taking forever. We had to stop, like, one mile in so he could get cream or something. And I was like, okay. And he insisted on leading.
1: So I was already, like... So he was setting the pace. He was
0: basically determining all the rules for the day. And his pace was extremely fast. Like, we would kind of skate by under 20 miles an hour, take our time. He was going 25 miles an hour or more. Yeah. For, like, almost 30 miles we went with no break in the extreme heat. And so 30 miles in, Ben and I are like, we need to take a break. Like, this is not working for us. So... I kind of slow down and talk to Ben, and Ben rides up next to William and is like, Hey, can we take a break? And so we're actually riding on the highway at this point, and there's a stop up ahead, but it's like blocked off. So there's like the big wooden barriers with sandbags right. holding it down. But he's like, yeah, we can still stop there. Like, we can get through. It's fine. They're like, okay. So he leads. And as we're approaching, the barriers are a lot closer together than they seemed. Right. And we can't really see what's going on because he's ahead of us. And so he decides to swerve in between these signs to get off the exit. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I guess I'll do that too. And so I'm right behind him, and I try to do the same thing, and one of my bags clips the sign, and I just automatically am down. Oh, damn. And we were going like 25 miles an hour. Yeah. So that happened. My head slammed against the gravel. Luckily, it was like rocky gravel. It wasn't straight, um, I don't know what the word is, pavement or whatever. Right. But were you wearing a helmet? I was wearing a helmet, thank goodness. Um, And I kind of, I don't know if I blacked Uh, out, but Ben says that I was like convulsing, and there was like spit running down my mouth, and there was like snot running down my face, and I was just very um, unnerved and not really coherent. And I don't remember anything from that point till that night at all. Yeah. Um, but Ben tells me that I was, so I'm convulsing. I clearly had a concussion and I'm all scraped up. Ben actually got messed up too because he was behind me. And so he ran into me, fell over his bike completely split open his leg, but he had no idea because he was like, are you okay? So, this woman who happens to be a nurse sees this go down on the highway, gets off an exit, and then comes back around to come help us. And she's like, we need to take her to the hospital. So... This guy, William, I guess, felt really, really bad. He felt responsible. He was like, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. But Ben was like, you should just keep going. Don't worry about us. So we go to the hospital. I get all the tests. Um, They don't seem really concerned. They just say, like, we had a concussion. But, like, my bike was completely totaled. and I was like really messed up, and so the trip was over at that point, um, which was really devastating to be that close. We were like 20 miles from the border of California, so it was just like. That was so a really tough in, blow. You were in
1: Arizona. That's yeah. yeah. Do you remember, do you know what town? Because um, I know that's the western part of the state. There's a lot of, a whole it. lot of nothing out there for the most part.
0: I should have it written down.
1: Well, that's, your, uh, that's your trip this journal. This is my trip journal. Oh. Um... <laughs>
0: I don't see it written down
1: here. I mean, it's not super important to the story. I was just more curious if it was a town that I had been through. Because I had, you know, even though I was out there for four years, there was like certain places I went to all the time. And then people were like, oh, did you ever go to this? Uh, Some woman was telling me uh, about... A town called Portal, Arizona yesterday Which I had never heard of But it sounded pretty interesting And I was like, well, I get back there about every two years or So maybe I'll go check it out but, yeah.
0: I just know it was even closer To the border of California Than where we stopped Because this woman was a nurse And she took us to the hospital she worked at mm-hmm. What I do know is Apparently it is like The hottest Or one of the hottest Cities in America mm-hmm. So when we got there, it was like 120 plus degrees at that time. Um, And it's funny, the woman who picked us up, she... I was told this afterwards, I don't remember it, but she had me sit in the front and Ben was in the back and my memory was resetting like every 30 seconds. So I was in the front seat of this woman's car and every 30 seconds I would kind of look over at this woman, realize I didn't know who she was, and then turn around to Ben and be like, Ben, what happened? And he'd explain it to me and I'd be like, okay, okay. And then literally 30 seconds I'd turn, not recognize her. And she told Ben, she was like, "You did a really good job of like just graciously explaining it. Like he never freaked out." Yeah, right. So I learned Ben's good in a crisis in that in that story.
1: Good to know that you yeah. partner. Good and, to uh, know.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah
1: because that tends to be in like crisis mode or extreme like pressure or whatnot that tends to be when people's true colors show so like yeah. when because I've had instances where you know particularly traveling with significant others where pressure's on everyone's tired everyone's you know whatever and then something happens and they snap and they say some not so, so nice things or whatnot and then later you know like oh I'm really Sorry for it. I'm like, I understand. It's mm. fine. But you're like, yeah, that's also you without, with your guard completely down. I'm like, oh, so that's how you really feel about X, Y, and Z. Or, yeah. Or this is, this is who you are when, when the chips are down. Right. So, yeah.
0: There was, it was also a scary dynamic going into the trip because so many people, like we had just been married for a year at that point. I got countless people being like, are you sure you wanna spend every minute of every day with each other? That's a lot of time to spend. This is a really stressful endeavor we were just like, yeah, I think we can handle it. But there was this kind of scariness and, like, I hope we come out of this okay. You know, you never know what can happen. And the truth is, that was such an important experience for us to have. And, like, there were no moments where it, like, drove us apart. It was always, like, we need to get through today. And we only have each other. So... Yeah. It was actually a really good thing for us.
1: Yeah. I think. Well, that's that's also been kind of what I've observed, uh, both in my own life and other people's lives, is, you know, because a lot of times people will warn you about, like, doing something... Stressful or difficult with a significant other, and they're like, Oh, that's gonna put undue pressure. But I've always been like, Well, if you can't get through this, then ultimately, like, yeah, it may hurt. Like, if, if that ends up leading to stuff not working out, then it probably wasn't gonna, gonna, it wasn't built to last, anyways. Yeah, and it's better to find out than you know, whatever. So, yeah, and also, you guys are gonna have. Uh, that memory that story to tell like for the rest of your lives Yeah.
0: yeah um I think yeah one of the biggest things I learned from it probably was just like you are capable of so much more than your mind tells you you are sure um Another big piece of that trip, I think, was Ben and I both deal with chronic depression. And we've both kind of gone through different medications, dosages. um, And during that trip and it could be a placebo effect it could be just the fact that we were exerting so much physical energy right. every day but like I did not feel depressed for that entire two months Yes. Yeah. and I can't say that about any point in time of the past like five or six years so I know that's not something that I can really simulate to my regular life right. but um, it was just a really really good thing to feel like wow I'm capable of doing something really hard mm. and I don't have the time to get stuck in the little details because sure. I need to get this done sure um, so I would encourage anyone to do something like it yeah it doesn't have to be a bike trip just something you think you can't do right that's really big and scary yeah. because you'll just find out how great you are right when you do that so
1: oh absolutely. And it's, and it's funny, too, because, like, I do know that, like, physical activity, like, continuous physical activity, you're releasing, you know, endorphins that will counteract a lot of depression. And it's funny because the last month, six weeks or so, I've been feeling pretty depressed. And, like, in the last couple weeks, there's been... A couple things like I had a friend pass away suddenly and whatnot, but it th- it wasn't like that all of a sudden threw me into this depression. It was just like, okay, well, we'll all pile that on. But I was thinking about it like two weeks ago, and I can't remember if we talked about this before or not, but I was trying to figure out why it was. And I was like, oh, right, like for the past six months before that, like I'd been like pretty physically active pretty regularly. And then once it became cold, mm-hmm. I wasn't, and I was just like, you know, when I first realized that, I was like, oh, that's a weird coincidence, and then I was like, no, it's not a coincidence, so it's like, uh, you know, I mean, you know, case in point, once we, uh, when, when we're done with this, uh, and you go to work, I'm actually going to go for like a, like a five-mile walk, because I'm, I gotta, I did, I did that coastal walk this this summer, and I'm going to do it again in March, and I'm like, well, I haven't done much walking at all in the last month or so, so I need to start, like, ramping it up again so that it's not such a weird thing, but it's just, like, once I start doing it, like, the first mile, I don't think of anything, and then the second mile, I'm like, this sucks, I hate this, and then usually by the third mile, I'm like, no, I'm actually pretty into this, and it's like, and I used to listen to a lot of music when I did that, and I don't listen to music at all now, it's just sort of like a like a weird meditation like I've tried sitting at home being quiet and meditating and I
0: yeah it's not the I same
1: there's too many distractions
0: yeah
1: and uh just <coughs> turning the phone off um I just I won't do it. I'll tell myself well even putting it in the other room, if it beeps, or I'll, even if I don't get up to check it the next five minutes, I'm like, I wonder what that is. Mm. I texted someone an hour ago, I wonder if it's a response or if it's you know it's just right. shutting your mind off. But when I'm actually like physically out and moving, it's very easy for me to just kind of like be like in the surroundings that I'm in and you know checking it out and whatnot. So yeah. I'm actually kind of I'm not excited that it's as cold as it is, but I also yeah. know that'll mean there'll be very few people out where I'm going. So, That's just true. Right. there's that. Yeah. So, do you um, have you guys thought about doing any more?
0: I would love trips to. Like that? Yeah. I would really, really like to. Um, the financial security isn't there anymore sure. to do that anytime soon, but. I definitely think we'll do it again. Um, What's hard now is kind of like what you're describing, the in-between times of that. I want to make sure I'm not just like looking at it as some ultimate high. You know, like, oh, I felt so good during that trip. I just can't wait to do that and feel that good again. Because in between then and now... The periods where I've been, like, completely inactive. Like, don't do any exercise, hardly ever go outside. Yeah. Like, (coughs) that has happened a lot in the past two years. And so I really need to make sure I'm trying to be more consistent about that. Yeah. Because I know how good it makes me feel. Um, And it's not really sustainable to just be like oh to feel that good again i'm gonna go on a two-month bike tour right you know right. so we'll see right i imagine it'll happen but at the right time
1: right so. there's no imminent plans right now no not right now <coughs> right on right on sorry i just got a, Okay. tickle in my throat um interesting and how much how much longer do you have in school? Uh I don't know. <laughs> a uh, bad question to ask uh
0: yeah well I don't know I should be done oh, the door is wide open I not think so I not but it's like 10
1: degrees outside yeah I'm sorry I just uh I just got up because we're we're sitting at a coffee shop right across from the front door and uh Gentleman, I think, yep, yeah, uh, went outside and left the door just wide open.
0: let's yeah. come back in. Yep. Yeah. Okay.
1: Huh. All right. Well, I Think now. I think he hit the the um. Oh, and, and the assistant yes. thing and it holds it open right uh, yeah, yeah.
0: that makes sense
1: <coughs> I mean it makes more sense than I initially sense. said it. I, yeah. it still doesn't make a, a bunch of sense but you know that's okay we're, we're all on a different journey <laughs> yeah yeah <coughs> sorry I completely derailed What? what okay. Yeah. I was asking you about school I think and oh then, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah
0: I forgot um, <laughs> I think I'll be done by next spring yeah But if I want to teach, which is what I originally thought I wanted to do,
1: I still have to get certified after
0: that, which could take another half year to a year.
1: Yeah.
0: So I don't really know. Mm. I don't know if I'll just get a different job before getting certified.
1: Yeah.
0: Or if I'll just keep going. It's hard to say.
1: Do you think... Because you said, if I want to teach, which, which which is what I originally wanted to do, are you thinking maybe you don't want to teach, or are you not sure?
0: I'm just not sure. Um, I've done different teaching jobs in the past to kind yeah. of see if I like it. And there are lots of aspects to teaching that I really, really like and appreciate, And then there are a lot that I really, really don't like. Um, So, like, I was a paraeducator for a year um, in a specifically autism classroom for, like, four to five-year-olds. And that was a wild ride. That was, like, not only seeing education, but seeing special education and kind of everything that's wrong with that and how much burnout happens in that career path. Then I was in a second grade regular, or not regular, mainstream classroom right. for half a year and I really liked that, but there were just so many kids. I went from a class that had six kids to a class that had 25 kids. Mm-hmm. And then I did some tutoring with some English language learners, and I really liked that So yeah. it was one-on-one, but I wasn't teaching material that I'm interested in. I was kind of just there as a medium for them to like, make sure they understood the translations of their homework correctly. So I just don't know. There's so many things I'm interested in like this past year especially I've gotten into a lot of political stuff more in depth. And I think there's some good linguistical aspects to that. Yeah. Or like advocacy that I would really be interested in.
1: Yeah.
0: So I'm just trying to keep my mind open to what happens. Yeah. Like if something really cool pops up I'll do that. Yeah. If not, I won't. Right. But I don't wanna <coughs> be committed to one way
1: or another. Sure. So, sure. Yeah. Sounds like there's a whole lot of like possibility ahead of yeah. you. Which I mean, yeah. it's true for all of us, but I mean <clears throat> it also sounds like you're pretty open to what could present itself to you where like I think a lot of people particularly at the stage in life where you are where you're in your early to mid twenties where I think so many people feel like they have to know exactly where their life's path is going to lead, which, you know, it's going to change 50 times no matter what anyways, but so many people just get obsessed with, I have to do this, I have to do that, and I think also when life changes, they feel disappointed or betrayed or let down by that, but also you know, we're changing all the time. Who we are and what's important (laughs) to us and, you know, what we connect with changes all the time. So it's crazy to have to hold yourself to something that you commit to when you're 21 or 23 or 25 and then think that conceivably when you're 65 or 75, that's still what you're going to be following. So, I mean, it sounds like you're at least open to whatever possibilities are presented to you, or the best possibilities that are presented to you. So, you know, you're ahead of the the curve for most most people.
0: Well, I didn't always feel that way. I think when I first started going to college, there was definitely that push of, if I'm going to be investing all this money, I should know what I want to do.
1: Yeah. Which,
0: I do understand that, but... I think a real benefit to taking my time the way I did is I've been able to have a lot of different jobs and see like, well, maybe I don't know. And maybe you don't have to know. Maybe if you get a degree or you study things that are more broad, you'll have more options. Sure. Um, And by taking so long to do this, I've kind of been able to whittle away things that aren't as important to me. So so I would encourage anyone going into college, like, take your time. Go to community college, save money, take a year off. Like, take as much time as you need. I know I complain about it a lot, but the truth is I know it was the best choice for me. absolutely. It can be frustrating when, you know, you're 24 and you're still just a junior in college taking intro (laughs) classes with 18-year-olds. But, like, I have invaluable experiences from doing it that way. Sure.
1: So... I've also... I mean, one of the things that I say to people is, like, it's good to it's good to get to know people from not just different walks of life but different eras in life because like I have friends such as yourself who are in their you know 20s and I have friends in their 60s and I've learned stuff that has been incredibly valuable to me in my life from both ends of the spectrum and like just getting out and getting to talk to people who are different than me and have had different life experiences is just going to open up my own life's possibilities that much more. Yeah.
0: Not to, like, plug community college, but that's another good thing about that is my four years in community college half of my classmates were like 30 years or older right. you know I had a woman who was a retired teacher who was just taking more courses for fun she yeah. was like 70 something years old
1: yeah.
0: so I mean having those perspectives in your classroom is huge yeah. especially when they're talking about something that you're interested in pursuing and they've actually done that career they've done Done something different that relates to it. Yeah, that was a really, really great aspect of community college that you kind of miss at a four-year school. Sure, for sure. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, I did. Um, I did one semester at UNH, and then I did three years getting my associate's degree at a trade school. And it was the trade school was a much wider age range. I mean, it was still. I mean. I think I was about your age that you are now when I went to school and, you know, half the students were 18, 19 years old and I felt like the old man then, which is funny to me because, like, in my mind, the age difference between 18 and 24 is so negligible now to me, but, like, then it was, like, a huge thing. But there was also a bunch of, like, people in their 40s and people in their 50s and, like, you know, I learned... I learned different things I could do but also I learned a lot of oh well I definitely don't want to do what that person did so mm. I'll pay attention to what they did and then try and steer clear right. of those things so yeah I don't know just I, I think it's just important to be to be open to whatever you yeah know? And, or at least open to listening to uh, everything that's out there and I mean you're definitely someone who strikes me as someone who does that a lot so yeah. well thank you yeah, I, absolutely
0: uh, I don't know how true that is.
1: You're someone that. It's
0: just opportunity has made me that way. Well,
1: I I don't know if opportunities necessarily can make you that way. I mean, you're someone that I've seen you. Taken interest in a lot of people. Like I've seen you strike up conversations about stuff with different people that is something that's different than your, you know, interest. And um, I mean, to me, it seems like it's something you do naturally, whether or not it's a choice you made or not. It's not something that everyone does. And I think, I, you know, I think it's a really healthy thing to do, but it's also something that I don't see a ton of people doing. So, I don't know. That's that's one of the things that I admire about you. So. Well,
0: thank you. To go, I mean, makes me think back to what we were saying before about religion. I do think there are some tenets of the faith that I was brought up in that I still hold true. Yeah. Um like the even the Bible, like I don't read the Bible anymore. I don't necessarily put much stock in it, but right. I do think there's some yeah good aspects and lessons in there that I still think about. Yep. Um just like treating people well, yep. like taking an interest in other people's lives and being compassionate. Those types of things have always just stuck with me.
1: Yeah,
0: um, which is kind of why I wanted to get into teaching. Uh, I'm just always interested in like those people who are kind of glossed over, um, who kind of get lost in the details. Sure. There's just something about being able to help those people find their power and their agency that's mm. really appealing to me. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, I'm not doing it to serve a higher power anymore, but I still think there's something good
1: right. in it. Uh, it's interesting that the way you put that, not serving a higher power, because I ultimately, I feel yeah. like we all have that within us, that drive but it's not a loud booming voice, it's it's a pretty quiet voice and you kind of have to be still and calm, and some people call it their conscience or whatever, but I think I, I, I think the world often conditions us to ignore it because it's not serving our best interest, which in the immediate, that may be true because you know, we we all can be greedy and selfish and self-important. And, you know, the, that doesn't make you a bad person or a good person. We all, we're, we're all complex beings. But I think deep down, we all have access to what the right thing is and I think it's going to be slightly different for each person because we're all individuals but I I don't know like I kind of look at at that as like the part of the whole higher power thing but it's all I don't know like
0: I'm probably misrepresenting it because I think I am still having a hard time separating like my conscience and the God that I was taught about and
1: I'm right there with you, trust me. Yeah, and
0: it's weird because I I do recognize that there is something that I'm following when I choose to be compassionate to someone. Like, there's something telling me this is a good thing to do. Yeah. Um, And I do need to, (coughs) excuse me, keep separating that from being explicitly a god or a being right. or something that literal um which I'm working on Yeah, but
1: yeah. I mean it might be something that you're working on the rest of your life it feels like oh, something I'm that sure. I am I'm yeah. sure Yeah, <clears throat> sure of that well I appreciate you taking the time to sit down and chat with me it uh, was a it's an interesting conversation. No, I definitely enjoyed it. Um, I know you have to get to work eventually, but uh, thank
0: you for inviting me.
1: Absolutely, thanks, thanks for having coffee and chatting with me. That's it's awesome. great. Sweet. Yeah.